0: We have eight universal emotions. There's fear, anger, disgust, envy, jealousy, love, sadness, and
1: Leadership isn't about being an authority. It isn't about having charisma or being in control or knowing all the answers. So what does it mean to be a leader? That's what we're here to find out. I'm Nicholas, your host, founder of Eagle Transformational Coaching. Come and join us as we sit down with amazing leaders from all walks of life. Let's transform today's leadership into effective leadership here on the Life I Lead podcast. Well, well, welcome to another edition of the Life I Lead podcast. I'm Nicholas, your host and founder of Eagle Transformational Coaching. Uh, so welcome to this Uh, episode. This is an incredible episode. I've got a wonderful interview with uh, an incredibly talented and qualified lady, Cathy O'Donoghue. I just want to remind you all that the book The Life I Lead is on sale for the month of November. It's a great book um, about how to create effective leadership by creating uh, a sound lifestyle and habits in your lifestyle, I'd like to remind you that below the tip of the iceberg course is available on the website www.eagletransformationalcoaching.com. And also coming up in a couple of weeks is the Ask Me Anything edition of this podcast. And you can send your questions into admin at eaglecoach.business. You can get them on LinkedIn or Twitter or Insta or Facetube, uh, ask me anything about coaching, transformational coaching, Eagle Transformational Coaching, mentoring, business consultancy. Um, Get a question there because you never know. No question is without its merit. So let me tell you a little bit about our guest today, Cathy. I met Cathy only a few weeks ago through the Association of Business Mentors, which we both belong to, helping small business leaders interact with coaching and mentoring to deal with and look at and reflect on some of the issues in their business and uh, we go in depth into that but kathy is a successful business owner in the consultancy it and finance sectors she's developed an executive mentoring supervision and facilitation style from over two decades of coaching and mentoring practice and she offers one-to-one and group mentoring and supervision And in addition to leadership training through her company, Mode Business Training. So she also trains trainers, she mentors mentors, and she coaches coaches. Um, So this is a really insightful episode. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you get something out of it that makes you think, actually, you know what? This could be something I could get involved in as a coach or a business mentor, or indeed, if you are a business owner, or you are indeed in leadership and you feel like you need some input from a coach a mentor or a consultant so sit back and enjoy this incredible episode so without further ado let me bring Kathy to the microphone Kathy thank you very much for joining the life I lead podcast today a spontaneous last minute arrangement and uh, we're grateful for you to step in Uh, I've given a little intro uh, in the bio but why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do and who you are
0: all right so hello good morning Nicholas um Yes, my name's Cathy. Um, so I started off very early on in my career with the mindset of I wanted to work for myself. I had an entrepreneurial mindset, I guess, when I realised, probably from the age of 16 and 17, what I was doing for an employer, I could do for myself. So I I then became, I think, what I like to call an apprentice on the ladder of personal and professional success. Wow marvellous yes and i think actually you know the further we get into this conversation talking along the lines of what that means and at each stage in that journey when you think yep yeah, i've peaked i've reached the top of the ladder good for me i could sit back mm-hmm. then somebody else or something else has come along and challenged that thinking where i thought you know what actually there, there's way more steps on the ladder there's way more things to learn so um Essentially, that's that's my journey. I'm on a continuous learning journey. And as I go along the way, I think as a as a leader and a thought provoker, I want to look behind me and take all those people up the ladder with me.
1: That's incredible. One thing I'm really interested in, and I work with a lot of people, a bit like you, I imagine, a lot of people who are business owners, who own their own company or have inherited their own company. Um, do you think that all of those people... Are entrepreneurs. I like the way that you describe yourself on, on. I think it's on your LinkedIn profile. You're a serial entrepreneur. Mm. And I love that. A lot of people say, Oh, I'm an entrepreneur, but actually they spend their life comparing themselves with their market. And I think, Well, that's not actually an entrepreneur because you're not breaking out what other people are doing. You know, it's more like uh, I want to reach the level that I feel comfortable at. Whereas entrepreneurship requires a lot more, doesn't it? What do you think distinguishes somebody who is? Passionate and enthusiastic, or have inherited something that's doing, you know, great as a going concern, and somebody who is actually an entrepreneur.
0: I guess you've actually hit hit the nail on the head. It's that that spirit of I've got a passion and a desire to want to go and do something and achieve something, mm-hmm. and that gives me a personal sense of satisfaction. Um, I might not have all the tools that I need to be able to get there and do it, which is where the mentoring and the coaching and, and you know, what we're also going to talk about comes into the fore. But it, it's the desire and the passion to achieve something outside of the norm. And it's what distinguishes people from, I just want to get up, go to work every day, nine o'clock, come home at five. I'm happy with that lifestyle. and. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's what gives me satisfaction and joy, and it's that distinction between going to work and doing a job, coming home, and you have your family time, you do, you know, what you want in the evening, and that drive to better or that continuously better yourself, when all these neurons are flying around, and I could do this, or I could add this to what I'm currently doing, and, you know, you're always on that thought journey of adding to what you've already got.
1: Fantastic. And I must say to people listening to this, Kathy, you're not sat here as just an enthusiastic mentor or coach. You're sat here as a highly qualified and academic mentor, coach and leadership. You're a fellow of the Institute of Leadership and Management uh, at the highest level, at the master's level, level seven for management and for business mentoring and coaching. Um tell us a little about what, what what you have achieved in the mentoring, coaching and leadership field. Brag about your CV. Tell us where your uh, skills have been proven by qualification.
0: Enable the people within the team that sit behind me to surpass what I'm already doing. I want them to be better than me. And I thought that embodies exactly what I believe a leader to be. And it's empowering the people below you or alongside you to be better than you. Essentially, from a selfish perspective, that I can step away and do what, what I like. But also, you know, having the accreditations and having that learning and knowledge that sit behind it was also an important factor. So I said to some of the some of my managerial team in that company, why don't you guys consider doing some leadership and management qualifications? Through the ILM, they've got the level three, five, and seven. Um, why don't you do some of these qualifications? It will really help you and give you the confidence to then manage and lead your teams. And I got a, a lot of pushback. How are we going to do this and still do our jobs and still you know, help run the business alongside studying doing this? Yeah. So I kind of threw my hat into the ring at that stage and thought, do you know what? If you guys are going to do it, I'm also going to do it. I'm going to show you that it's it's possible to run a business and do this qualification at the same time. So, yeah, I, I signed up to do it as well. And that actually inspired me to then carry on with this learning journey. So, yeah, I started off with the level five leadership and management. And then the, the knowledge that you gain from those sorts of qualifications and then the application of those skills to be able to do it naturally led me down the path of, well, I could do this. Now I could teach other people how to do it. Not only that, I, I can then move into a mentoring arena, which is completely different. Yeah. So that that is an important factor, actually. A, a lot of people come from a background of business ownership. They're successful business leaders, and they aspire to move into a business mentoring, coaching arena without realization I think and I'm guilty of this as well I thought well of course I can mentor and coach other people I've done this I've got my own business I could lead people along the path of course I could be a business mentor and through doing further qualifications in business mentoring and coaching made me realize actually that's not what it's about at all it's using all your skills and parking them in a bus over here And sitting in front of somebody who wants to aspire to grow their business and go on that journey themselves and sitting back and listening and being an active listener and allowing them to talk about what they want to achieve. And your only role as a business mentor and coach is then to essentially ask them what other options have they considered? What else could they do that would be more powerful? What else have they got in their toolbox that they could look at on that journey? So I'm not imparting any of my own knowledge in terms of how I've run a business which may be completely differently to how Nicholas, would run your business or whoever would run their business because that's not what mentoring and coaching is.
1: And you're right it's that it's it's almost being taught to not be over-opinionated isn't it it's a it's Mm. a little bit like um, being a a partner in a, a relationship where there comes a point where you have to not impress your own opinion or your own advice, or, well, I' tell you what I would do. You know, my in-laws are fantastic at doing this. <laughs> you ask them a question, you say, what would you, what would you do in this situation? Well, I'd do this, and then because you don't do it, they're furious with you. you know I hope they don't listen yes. to this podcast, but you know, and a lot of people in mentoring and coaching do that, don't they? Well, mm-hmm. what do you do in this Well, I'd do this, and that's not about coaching or mentoring or indeed about consultation or leadership advice. You know, we don't give advice. We give that independent, non-objective sounding board for people, which I think has become more and more important in people's lives. Generally, generally finding an independent ear is tough in this Mm. day and age, isn't it?
0: Absolutely. And and that is the most important skill to learn as you grow through a leadership path into what I'm doing now in terms of coaching and mentoring others and then supervising other mentors and coaches is, is teaching people that, it's fantastic. All the, all the skills that you've got, you've accumulated over the course of the years are all completely relevant. They're all important to the business owner that is sitting in front of you. What's more important is that you sit and you actively listen and you learn to allow them space. You ask the right question and you sit back and you allow them space to come to that conclusion themselves. Now, with your own knowledge, you might want to blurt out, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you create a marketing plan? Why don't you look at doing this? But you're not giving them any insight. You're not taking them on a learning journey. You're just essentially running their business for them, being prescriptive in, in, in what you're doing. So the idea is that you sit back and you talk about what are what other options have you got to reach your target audience? What other options have you got? You know, to to grow your product, and then sit back, which is sometimes really uncomfortable. That space where you absolutely want to dive in and feel that awkward silence. But that is the most powerful bit of the mentoring cards, is, is that you're yeah. allowing somebody that space to think about it themselves.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I. I there are two analogies I make. One is the, the fear that people have of uh tools like ai And ai is a fairly basic tool until you find people who know what question to pump into the machine and the skill of ai becoming really effective is actually the skill of the typer the skill of the person composing the question that's when ai becomes a really useful tool in the hands of somebody preparing for a chemistry exam it's probably fairly useless mm. you know and that's the fear i think society have we're all going to be cheaters you know nobody's going to write a book anymore nobody's going to write a song anymore Well, they are because the secret of AI is being able to pump in the right questions. What made Michael Parkinson or Terry Wogan a fantastic interviewer was asking those really good questions. So I think you're right. That's a skill that we try and learn, isn't it? Absolutely. Something I I wanted to ask you about. This is one of my drives in life. You talked to us about how nine out of 10 people who own a business or engage in your services... As, as as a coach, a mentor, a business uh, leadership consultancy, what do you think drives them to do that outside of it being a compliance aspect of their work? You know, when I'm going to make you a middle manager, I'm going to stick you on a management course. Or I'm going to stick you on a leadership course and it's compliance. For the people that reach out to you and say, I've recognized something that I need to work on, that my business needs to succeed in, and I need this sort of service and they come to you. What makes somebody do that, Kathy?
0: Well, this is a really interesting one because it's not normally the reason why they end up being there. So we have eight universal emotions. There's fear, anger, disgust, envy, jealousy, love, sadness and shame. Mm. Okay. Oh, this isn't something I kind of preach to somebody as soon as they walk through the door. But if somebody <laughs> yeah. walks through the door and says, I want to grow like my business," <laughs> I want to be a successful business owner, the first thing I want to know is the behavior behind why you're sitting in front of me. Yeah, What's led you to the door of, I, I need some help from a business mentor. What is that emotion behind the action of why you're sitting in front of me? And it might initially been out of, Fear, of uh, fear of being a failure, fear of not being able to do this myself. um You know, it might be out of the, the shame side of well, other people are doing this, why can't I? And as soon as you untap into those those universal emotions and what 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 does that feel like? Well, any of you experienced this before? Let's go back a few decades or you know uh, let's go back into the past and see what that driving motivational force is behind why you want to do this because once you've uncovered that what that driving motivation is then i can help then we can step in and say actually if we correct this or if we discussed what happened here if you didn't get the recognition or the validation that you deserved or that you required as a as a, a child, as a junior, as a, all through your academic career, if nobody validated you how great you were and how amazing you are, are you just sitting now in front of me because you require further validation from somebody you perceive as having a, a level of expertise above you? That's yeah. not normally the case. In no case or circumstance do I ever perceive the person sitting in front of me as lesser. They are just on a different path, on a different journey. We're all on different paths. I can learn from them just as much as they can learn from me.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. I know one of the reasons I set up a business uh, in the middle of the pandemic or the, towards the beginning of the pandemic was the final realisation that I had absolutely no regard for direct authority in the workplace. It was something I had clearly indigenously struggled with all my life. And whatever job I did, I almost knew – that it was never going to last extraordinarily long. Nine years was the longest I had on for a job before I was either got itchy feet or before I thought this. I'm living in some sort of incompetency. So I realised that my drive was the only way you're going to be really happy is if there is the only authority is your reputation, your clients, and your income, and your you know not having one to ones with my boss and that sort of jazz. So I think you're absolutely right. What is that driving moment? Now, Mm. in a lot of what I do, I make the connectivity between the life somebody leads, that sort of, you know, after work, when they get home and they're a partner or a husband, a wife, a child, with their children, with their friends, and the emotions that drive how they navigate that to how they navigate the emotions needed in leadership and business in the workplace. Because I see this huge disparity between, you know, middle-aged men in upper management, who interact with their team who might be their junior uh, chronologically in a way that they would never dream of interacting with their partner with their children with their football mates and i wonder why there is this disconnect you know i spend a lot of time saying ask yourself would you talk to your son like that or would you encourage your daughter like that or would you encourage your teammates on a football field like that and why do you make that why is there a disconnect to how you would treat your team, or why you can't see that or empathize or be compassionate with your team, or how you can motivate your team? Do you think that's a big problem?
0: It's, it's certainly an interesting concept. So I actually completely agree with you. And I and I would challenge that person and to understand why they think it's okay to behave like that in that different circumstances. What are they lacking in their personal life? that they're not there bringing into the workplace and treating their team the same. Now, going back to universal emotions, is it because they don't want their team to see, are are they acting out of fear and shame because because they don't want their team to see, well, actually, this person's behaving like this, but their words and actions don't marry up? Mm -hmm. Are are they they treating us, you know, is, is this manager treating us quite harshly because that's how he's been treated? growing mm-hmm. up perhaps he's treated harshly at home I and mean, i'm making a lot of assumptions here by the way about your <laughs> your fictitious person yeah. but but looking but, but i would want to challenge that thinking behind what are you gaining extra in your life and in your business workplace by treating people like this over here that you wouldn't treat if they were a personal friend or a family member over here and actually is there a crossover perhaps where you're socializing with, you know, in the workplace at parties or things like this, that you go social events. Do you, is there a, a little switch that's flicked where all of a sudden you go into party mode and you're a completely different person? Because that, that's a little bit incongruent in terms of, the, and what messages are you then giving people when they, you know, when they, you're putting them at odds as to how they interact with you?
1: Mm, so I yeah. think
0: being genuine across the board, in terms of how you interact with people in life in general is a really important thing. Are you consistent in that approach? And you know, delving a bit deeper into it, is this specific people that you are interacting with at work like this? Do you like Joan in accounts, and you because she reminds you of your mum, so that you are treating her a little bit differently Absolutely. than the others? So I'm picking that thread a little bit further and not just in terms of how you are treating the people at work and how you're managing them. It, that might be part of your management style because you've not been taught to manage any differently yes. than you are at the moment. So let's see, what what do you want the outcome of this interaction to be in your team? Yeah. And are you getting there in the most effective way? There's there's no good or bad in my vocabulary. You're either effective or you're ineffective in your, <laughs> in your decision making and what you do.
1: You're right. And I think that's a key thing. And I think that's something that we strive as mentors and coaches and consultants in some aspects for some businesses, is that there is no, nobody's coming to us broken, you know, nobody's coming, we're not going to fix anything. And we're not going to create a new identity for you, we're going to give you a perception that might change how you react to or plan to react to things. So, and I think one of the and um, one of the stumbling blocks of people wanting to engage mentors, coaches, is I've got to show this sort of vulnerable, broken person. And that's not true, is it?
0: It's not. And, and they fall into two distinct categories. You do get people that come to see business mentors and coaches because they are a little bit broken and they've got way past the point where they should have engaged with the business mentor and coach. And are now on that trajectory of I need to inject some sort of expertise and some sort of external help into my business. Otherwise, it's going to go down the path. It's, it's going to fail at some point, And I'm going to then struggle to kind of get back up onto the ladder or the opposite end of the spectrum where now everybody's being actively engaged, engaged to kind of get on board with mentoring and coaching and have somebody externally in their life to help them along their path. And what we see at the opposite end is people that feel that they don't need a mentor coach, really. You're just here to tick a box to say that, I've got a business mentor or a business coach, in which which case the the same process applies. The same active listening process applies. I'm still mentoring the person in front of me. and I know we've had a discussion actually outside of this, haven't we, about mentoring the person in front of you versus mentoring their business, which is two completely different things. So first of all, which one of those things do you want me to mentor and coach? Because Expand on
1: that a little bit, because that's a really interesting point. And I think it's something that um, our clients need to be reminded of. And I think it's mm. something we as coaches and mentors need to be reminded of. Tell us a little bit about that business and person mentoring.
0: So, so for instance, I get a lot of people that come to me. Can you mention my business? I want to get to here. I want to, you know, my, my, out, my, my plan is to get reached this amount of turnover. That's what I define success to be okay, well, I'll come in. We'll go through a, 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 we're doing like a getting to know you session. So we go right back to the, why did you start this business? Have you got all of these policies and processes and all the things that you need to have in place in order for your business to run compliantly? And then course of that journey that normally um, picks little holes in terms of, well, why aren't you doing this? Is this a skills and knowledge gap? And then all of a sudden I'm, I'm getting a picture of what this person actually needs and what they're saying to me. So yes, if you come to me and say, I want to get to, you know, I want to reach 10 million turnover by year five. Fantastic. Let's look at options of how we're going to do that. What are you personally going to put into this to be able to achieve that? We chunk that down into smaller achievable goals, you know, in order to get there. But what I've learned from you in the course of this discussion is that you were worried about the finances. You don't know how to do this. You haven't got a process in place. Actually, you're micromanaging the staff that you have got in place. You're telling me that nobody can do this and you're working all hours to get this thing in place, but you've got 20 people sitting in an office somewhere and you're not getting further ahead than you actually are. So then it comes into, I can can help you achieve this, but first of all, we need to work on you. And I need to understand what the blocks are with you Being able to effectively delegate, hand things over, uh, what's that hurdle that you need to personally get over? Because once you've done that, then absolutely, I can step back, for want of a better word. I'm doing myself out of a job here. I can sit back and say, well, you've got all the tools that you need. You just need to follow this set of processes and be mindful of how you interact with people in order for you to create those own steps. And I think going back to, you know, when we talked about the, the whole leadership analogy, about you know, a leader would help those people on the, the run below them, be better than my, my whole ethos with coaching and mentoring and supervision is to do exactly the same thing. I enter into a relationship with somebody as their business mentor, fully with the view of. I'm going to mentor you you through this process personally. I'm going to mentor you, your business through this process. But at the end of this relationship, I want you to be able to step away and go, I've now got all the tools in my toolkit where I can become a mentor to somebody else.
1: Yeah, fantastic. Amazing. Thank you. Leadership generally, Kathy, in the UK, but globally to an extent, uh, I can fully understand why people become almost apathetic about the impact and the influence that leadership can have in every sector of our world, in in family life, in parental example, in politics, in education, NHS, because right now, you know, it's quite difficult to find a really good and grounded example of leadership, positive, influential, uh, enhancing, upskilling leadership. How do how do you perceive the state of leadership let's stick with the uk at the moment it's a tough question right. i know yeah. and i don't want to get you <laughs> drawn onto things you don't want to talk about but you know for somebody at your uh qualified level who works with leaders who who's who would walk into an organization and struggle not to perceive at the level that you can whether that mm. be people or the state of a business looking at people the way we interact with politics, the way that the NHS is on its knees, the way that small businesses are really struggling? How do you perceive leadership in the UK at the moment?
0: I think we've gone generationally through a patch where the title of being a manager and a leader is more important than the skills that sit behind that. And I'm generalising here. I've just had the fantastic opportunity actually to... To judge the first set of Institute of Leadership Awards. So I was in charge of I saw a that. Category Congratulations. Of a category. And I have to say, it was the hardest thing I think I've I've ever had to do because mm. I'm I'm sitting looking through all of the amazing applicants and all the amazing achievements that they've done. And, and then trying to comprehend these people walk among us, and yet we've got We've got leaders or people with that leadership title that aren't anywhere near that wouldn't scratch the surface of some of the candidates that have entered this this first set of awards with the Institute of Leaders. So, can I do anything about it? No. Is it a shift in mindset? Absolutely. And I think the, the most important thing for me in leadership, um, and again, it's something that we've touched on in the past, Nicholas. Is that as a leader, you create your job is to create the space and allow people to challenge your thinking yeah. because that's when you've done a good job. I don't want to sit amongst a bunch of people that will just sit and listen to what I've got to say and go, "Fantastic job!" We'll clap their hands. We all learn something today <laughs> and walk we'll out of the room. I want somebody to raise their hand and say, "Why did you say that? That doesn't sit with you know my ethics and my beliefs and what I perceive." This leadership role or this mentoring coaching role to be. So why do you think that? Because then I've done my job. I've created an environment of challenge, and I'm not afraid to also step into that arena and talk effectively about this is my belief. This is how I operate as a leader, as a mentor. And if if you operate at a different level, I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm not saying that I'm wrong. You're just doing it differently. And that's a perfect arena. That's a perfect place in the world and in the UK where we can agree that there's more than one way of doing things to get to the right outcome. And I think if more people have that mindset, then we'd actually start achieving things. And it's perfectly okay in the government and in businesses to have more than one version of what perfect and what correct and what right looks like. And there's multiple ways of getting there.
1: Yeah, really interesting concept. And and in the light of that, where, where should people? And I always think about, you know, I believe, I agree wholeheartedly with you that the premise of a leader is to create more leaders, not more followers. Uh, and there are probably more unhappy followers than there are happy followers. For those people just on the brink of being able to launch into leadership, being able to be invited into leadership, being able to apply to leadership roles that really feel quite demoralised, where do we point them to find that grounded example of leadership if they're not finding it in the environment that they're in now?
0: Wow, that's a tricky one. There's so many resources out there. I would encourage anybody who wants to step into that leadership role that hasn't got a sense of their own self is to talk to as many people as they possibly can about what leadership means to them because it's it's in, it's sitting in that place of it's not until you talk to other people about how they lead, how they manage others, what's led them to that journey. And actually what have they, you know, bunged up on the way? What have they got wrong? What have they learned from getting things wrong? And it's perfectly okay not to go from zero to 10 in your leadership journey because there's bits along the way that you will absolutely fail at and you'll get wrong. I certainly have. There's been instances all the way through my career where I sit back and think, I wish I'd done that slightly differently. There would have been a different outcome. But it's being brave enough to put your head above a parapet, which is an important thing as a leader, is that you hold your hand up and say, yeah, I could have done that better. I would have done that differently. And what have I learned from that? And how will I apply that moving forward? So yes, put yourself in a space on forums and you know in networking events. And don't be afraid to reach out to other business leaders on LinkedIn or wherever you want to find them. And then ask, what's your journey? Could I have five, 10 minutes of your time? Most leaders, if they're the leaders I aspire to be, would be more than happy to jump on a five, 10 minute call and talk to you about their journey and how they got there and give you a sound bit of advice. And I, you know, and I think if they, if they don't, then what category do they fall in? I'm really throwing the gauntlet down here, aren't I? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Good. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Leadership is, leaders is what I want to come on to now. Mm. Let's, let's dig a little deeper into, I think, um, the standard of leadership and you can find pockets of amazing Leadership. You only have to scan through LinkedIn to see some of the mm. incredible work that is going on amongst in, in forums and in intentional organizations where we're raising the bar, the concept and the perception of what it means to be a leader and the responsibilities and the privileges of being a leader. That doesn't deflect from the fact that there are a lot of shit leaders that are running mm. big organizations or big teams or big sectors The the influence that they're purporting is not great. And, you know, they're responsible for a lot of souls that are following them that might be really struggling. What do you think are the give us the top three real red flags for you, where you say this leadership is either ineffective, negative, or at worst, toxic? What are the top three things that you say? That that uh, just by spending ten minutes in this boardroom, in this environment, in this SLT meeting, this is a cluster.
0: Okay, right. Uh, this is going to be. A, well, it shouldn't be a tricky one. I think if I walked into a boardroom, first of all, if the business leader was sitting in that room, I would question why they were there. At some point in any business. The owner of that business or owners of that business should have a a structure and a hierarchy in place that would allow them to step away and essentially steer the ship, point the ship in the right direction is going over here. And I entrust and empower all of my management tier and the people underneath it to do their jobs effectively without me having to walk around the office or walk around wherever and peer over their shoulders and make sure that they're doing a good job. That's the first one. Yeah. And that everybody in the boardroom should be on board with, are we all pointing in that right direction? What's the outcome that we're all aiming for? Are we all on board with that? Have you got anybody in that room managing that change, managing the teams effectively under them? Have they created a sense of learning and enthusiasm and empower beneath them where everybody... You know, is enthused about, I've got a clear career progression path within this business. And I know that if I come in at junior apprenticeship level, I know that this company will support me in my journey all the way up to the top. And if they don't, that they're happy and they will encourage me to go. Mm. That's what I've done. But I will come on yeah, to that in a minute, actually.
1: yeah. yeah. So
0: yeah. that's the two. and. And are they going to provide me with all the tools when I come and sit at my desk on a Monday morning after a period of training and learning? I don't like that. I don't like the word and probation.
1: No, no you know, I, think I. It no. creates
0: expectation. It's a period of learning and development and training for you, which may or may not be extended based upon how well you onboard. Anyway, have they created an environment for me to learn what I need to do in this job and support me to do it? So I'd want to ask people at my level, how do you feel about the role? How do you feel about working here? So this is for anybody that's sort of going in, looking to join a company. There's some fantastic platforms you can look at for reviews. And the company shouldn't be afraid to ask their employees for reviews about how fantastic it is to work here. And that's what I would want to see.
1: Mm, that's interesting, isn't it? I, I I often use that with leaders in organisations. You know, if you were to take a quick Mario poll now, what, mm. what do you think that feedback would be? And the look on some of their faces is 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 aghast. It's quite, not not now. Don't do it now, for God's sake. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, you've got to be, you've got to almost be prepared at any point to say, let's just drop a thermometer into this organisation and, and, you know, see what the temperature is and be prepared that this is not always going to be good. It might mm. be a really crap reading. You know, your feedback might be really crap. But denial and sticking your head in the sand is no answer to taking that thermometer. But that's what a lot of people do, isn't it?
0: Mm, absolutely. You know, I think as, as a, a business coach or mentor or a leadership trainer, if a, if a, if the business owner says, do you know what, come in any time of the day, just pop in, walk around, talk to anybody that you like. I'm comfortable and confident that they will tell you the same message about how we run this business. Yeah, That's what I want to hear. Yeah. If they say, no, come in on a Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock, <laughs> we're just going to sit in this room and I will tell you about how great we are. <laughs> Then, then we've got some work to do.
1: And yet, when we look across the board, and I ask you this as a generalisation, when we look across the board of of um, uh, compliance and uh, quality assurance across the sectors, hmm. that's exactly what we do, isn't it? We say, you know, if you think of uh, NHS uh, audits, if you think of Ofsted, if you think of financial audits in you know big financial organisations. We always have that prep time, and for finances, that's uh, you know that's understandable. For quality assurance, I always think, why would you, why would you do that? You know, because you're getting this. I remember I taught for ten years. Ofsted's coming oh, in on the fourteenth. We've just been told, so we'll be all we'll be prepped. We know we know what class is going to be observed. Let's prep our kids. Let's do this, and let's give the best we can, which is great. Mm-hmm. But it's also quite it's also quite manufactured.
0: Yes. Yes, absolutely. You should be able to dip in there whenever you like, and it be the same consistent approach that you have every single day. And you know whether that we ever get to that stage where that happens with Ofsted or any other regulatory body doing that. I, you know, but I completely agree. I completely agree. And the agree fear, and the
1: fear is that we feel, you know, the recipients, the organisation feels they've got to be that brilliant. And that that te- that litmus test is what we're like all the time, but actually the mindset is yeah we can be sh- we can be shit this week, mm. and we can tell you why we're shit this week. This isn't an ordinary week. It's because of A, B, and C. So I'm gonna I'm gonna embrace that and not be judged and beaten down and you know uh, uh, on the back of it.
0: That, that's right. And that goes back to that, that ethos I was telling you about earlier, about opening yourself up to challenge externally, that if you believe that you're running the best business possible, anybody should be able to walk in there and say, well, actually, you're not quite up to scratch here. And that rather than be offended and worried and scared about what's going to happen next, you invite that critique and say, brilliant, I needed that. I needed that little bit of self-awareness so that I can make that bit better rather than manufacturing it or building up to it two weeks before to make sure everything's perfect, you want to find those little cracks because your business evolves and changes all the time from day to day. And sometimes you need a sense of fresh eyes to Mm. come in and say, well, how about this or what's happening over here that you can, you know, have a little bit of a checklist of awareness, but it's perfectly okay not to have all the answers and not all the solutions.
1: Yeah, amazing. When you look at our next generation, my daughter's nine and uh, loves life, really excited, loves school. You know, she's gregarious, outgoing. What, what sort of leaders do you think our current, you know, our, our coming up generation are going to need to be? You know, if I think of my parents, who are eighty six their entire existence of work and life was very different. My dad went into the Merchant Navy and stayed there all his life. And my uncle was a chef and stayed there all his life. And and we've gone through, you know, I'm late 40s. We're going through this sort of change of how people want to work, how people are motivated. Our incentives are different now. What is it going to be like for my nine-year-old daughter when she's hitting 25 and entering the world of work? What do you think leadership's going to need to do between now and then, maybe?
0: Well, that's a scary prospect for you, Nicholas. <laughs> <I> We're <was> thinking <laughs> that far ahead.
1: It, thinking well, of my daughter was... <laughs> leading anything is frightening. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was quite lucky to be involved in a scheme. Um, crikey, this was six, seven years ago. <clears throat> it was a scheme that they put into um schools, colleges, called the Enterprise Advisor Scheme. So I was quite lucky to be involved in an Enterprise Advisor Scheme for an academy down on the South Coast, where they were actively encouraged to match the curriculum with employment and future leadership growth and da da So <clears throat> part part of that metrics is that there was business leaders in the area that would regularly go into the school and the, the children in the school from year seven upwards had a specific amount of engagements with employers with leaders with business owners all, all in their area from year seven all the way up and, that, and, and as they went through the years those active engagements became more and more to the point, you know with, with the year 10 work experience where other business owners were going into those schools and colleges and doing interview preparation and live interview training with those candidates you know with with the children in the school so i think That's changed significantly since I was at school, Yeah, probably since you were at school, where there's that recognition of we need to do something different outside of academia where you're just leaving school, college, with a set of GCSEs and A-levels, and you're not really prepared for what the world of work looks for and Mm. the ongoing training. So I think fostering that love of learning in school and kind of setting out the parameters that this is an ongoing thing, what happens when you're old like me is that, having that love of learning where you're constantly on a journey of involvement and self-improvement, that's what I look for. So when I go into schools and you know and, and talk to children about, you know, why do you think you're learning history? Why do you think you're learning this subject? It's not so that we can test you on one day and make sure you've got a set of answers that match what the exam paper says here. Yeah. It's to encourage you to learn things, you know, and, and to absorb information that's you know, quite factual, quite black and white, because when you go into the workplace and you're given a staff manual how to do this specific job, which is a set of processes and instructions, you know how to absorb that information because you've mm-hmm. learned it in history. Yeah. And as a byproduct, you've learned all these amazing historical things and dah, dah, da. But it's, all those subjects at school correlate to life skills after school.
1: Yeah, impressive concept. Yes. So that leads me on to a lot of leaders that I work with, you know, who are very successful, who are very influential and run good organizations really well, Mm. somehow have stopped learning. They learn about Wednesday on Monday. They learn about Friday on Wednesday. Their wife has organized their weekends for them. Monday comes and they'll learn about Wednesday. And yet they don't think, you know, I'm in this sector. I'm going to read around it. I'm going to read about why I reacted like this. So I'm going to look Mm. up. That's really strange. My team is struggling about I don't understand why I'm going to read around it. I'm going to dip into a forum. You know, to me, you can't, if you're not a a learner, you're not a leader. If you don't lead, Mm. you can't learn. You know, what is it that people hit either the upper echelons of management or finance, you know, financial remuneration or board level, or they hit an age, particularly in men, they'll hit an age where they stop picking up books, they stop reading around themselves or reading around the subject or reading around their role. Why is that?
0: I don't think that's necessarily true. I think cool. actually following following a path of, you know, I've reached this level as a finance leader and I, don't, I actually do not want to pick up another finance book at all in my life because I think that doesn't inspire me. It doesn't float my boat anymore. What else can I learn? So I think, that journey of active learning about anything, including yourself, that could encompass, you know, when I've got to the age of 50 and, you know, I've been a finance director. Da, da, da. I'm not going to pass this over to my team. I'm going to pop in once a week, make sure everything's OK. I've always wanted to learn how to play golf or I've always wanted to learn how to play squash or, or sail a boat. You're still learning something. You're still challenging yourself. You're challenging your mind to do something different. So just because it's not an academic subject, I mean, and I've gone a very academic route, but I've I've done, I've learned something new every year, regardless of whether it's academic or not, because it's an important part of personal growth. <clears throat> and it will certainly make me a more interesting person at a party when I talk about, you know. <laughs> I've I've learned how to weld this year. So but but it's it's challenging your your learning experience and your thinking in general, not just in the academic field that you happen to sit in.
1: Brilliant. Brilliant answer. Yeah, I agree with you. So do you think that um do you think that our current leaders are um equipped in this changing world? You know, one of the things I encounter is how challenged some leaders were. In being able to lead effectively, and that's their word, yeah. not mine, via a screen or with a remote team, you know, without that sort of office environment, nine to five environment, work has changed. Uh, how we work and live has changed. How we move around, even in our own country, the, the the globe has become quite big again momentarily due to the pandemic. And I see a lot of challenge in that circumstance. Do you think that we have equipped leaders to? deal with this moving forward?
0: I can't really personally comment on what those leaders are equipped with or not. I would The only thing I would challenge it on is what their definition of leading effectively means to them, because it may be completely different to me or anybody else. Yeah. So what is the outcome that they're trying to reach? What they've tried to achieve and what are they doing with all the people that, that surround them in lesser positions or in similar leadership positions, how are, they encouraged that, how are they encouraging them to come along the same journey? So it comes back to that wording of leading effectively.
1: So do you think leadership is different leading remotely? So, you know, for example, when I worked in the heritage sector, you had mm. to be in work because we were running a museum. So we had to be yeah. there. When I was teaching, you have to be in the school until, you know, schools hit COVID. Teaching, for example, via a screen is very mm. different to teaching in a classroom. Do you think then leadership or um, how we work was challenged and in what way through the change of pandemic?
0: It was absolutely challenged. I think it created a different mindset in terms of, A, empowering people to be responsible and accountable for their own roles in their own environment. So it challenged people to think, well, now I've got to, I'm not going to get in my car and somebody's going to tell me what I need to do from nine to five o'clock. I'm responsible for doing that and making sure the output of what I'm doing is still the same. So the effective leadership comes into, I don't care whether you work nine to five or whether you decide to get up at seven and finish at three. I've focused on what the output of what you're achieving and how effective you're doing that. And if you're if you're finding that a challenge for whatever reason, how can I help you meet that challenge? What's the pain point that you're suffering in order to get the correct output? How can I help you with that challenge? Not yeah. how can I yeah. micromanage you and, and check in at you at half past two to make sure that you're working.
1: And do you think we can return to what was before the pandemic? Do you think there is... Uh, is it possible for everyone to go back to what we had before?
0: It depends on the sector, obviously. Um, sure. And certainly in, in the business that I've got on the South Coast, it's a very much a hybrid environment now. Um, but, it, but it's all outcomes-based. You know, we were very hung up on... We need to employ people locally. They need to be in the office from nine to a half past five. That's the most effective place for them to be because we can all learn from each other. Um, And, and there's a lot that, around that that's still very important because you learn from your peers by being in the same room as them rather than sitting on a Zoom call. So we've created an environment where people can work hybridly, but but we have options every week so we'd like all of the sales team for instance to come in on a tuesday because that's the then the collaborative working space where we can all work together on that day learn some new skills learn about new products and you know and best share best practices with each other so it's it's a it depends on the sector you're always going to have sectors where they need to be in the workplace do i think it's going to go back to how it was before no
1: because
0: we we've kind of we've tested waters on that and found that people could be just as effective working from home as they can be sitting at their desk in an office
1: and the other thing I want to ask you about because you you know you see a lot of people and you see a lot of teams and you see a lot of leaders I think there is a shift partly because of the way work has changed I think but also I think people more and more we're in this um, we're in this season of people looking at themselves and who they are and what they are and, and how they function at their best whatever that means for them And I think there's this huge question around how we um, incentivize people or how we reward people. And I think that's becoming less and less in some sectors financially. People Mm. are becoming less financially motivated. You know, if you bung me a hundred thousand pound bonus. Yeah, I'd really like that. But that will be gone by the three months after, you know, and I'm becoming less motivated by that do you see that and do you think it's a question of how we begin to motivate our workforces do we need to revisit that rethink that and probably look at it in a different way
0: I don't think you can throw everybody into the same pot there I think this is a conversation that needs to happen at very grassroots level and individually and I was actually having a conversation um, this week with a company about how to motivate staff and how to take people along that journey because you will always have people that are simply motivated by a thank you you know you've done an amazing job well done and that's that satisfies their sense of self and their sense of accomplishment but you will also get people that well you know i don't care whether you're grateful to me or not just give me more money and you kind of need to benchmark that across your business and find out what motivates each individual person and tailor that accordingly
1: okay and for big organizations that's tough
0: is tough, but it's supposed to be tough. It's supposed to be tough, right? Because then you get the most motivated workforce that you possibly can have. Because if you know that you've got a bunch of people sitting over here, they're really keen on climbing up the ladder and they want to onboard all of this new knowledge and they want to become your next set of leaders, they don't really care about the money, but that's nice. Then you put in place a training and development program where you're just throwing everything you can at them So that they can climb that ladder and you know and fulfil their destiny in the best way that they can. And if they happen to slip into a pay scale, the next pay scale up and get more money, that's just a nice byproduct. But you've satisfied their motivational need for personal growth. Fantastic. And I was going to say, and the other ones over here where you've got people that are motivated by money that. You challenge how they're targeted, what KPIs you're putting in place. Do they meet the outcomes of what you are aspiring to do as a business? So you're taking those people in a, in a slightly different trajectory of, okay, our objectives for this year, I'll go back to the original one. We want to achieve £10 million sales in the next three years. Okay, for these people, um, let's put some really healthy KPIs and targets in place that will motivate them financially to get to where we want to achieve where we want to go because then they're going to come into every day because they're part of your journey and they're going to be part of that journey to reach the £10 million. They'll get that sense of satisfaction, but they're also earning money off the back of it as well and they can be a part of that journey.
1: Yeah, I think that's really insightful. And I love the phrase you use. Yeah, it's supposed to be tough. It's going to be tough. You know, if you think it's not going to be tough, (laughs) then get out of the fucking sector. Yeah, I think that's really, really good. Um, We both mentor people in in, uh, small and medium businesses there's clearly a growing thirst um, amongst uh, people to want this sort of space to reflect on themselves and reflect on their business and to seek that independent ear and to try and find a different perspective. Why do you think that this is a growing trend now? If you'd done, if we'd tried to do this twenty years ago, people would have mm. thought it was therapy. They would have thought it was counselling, or it would have been compliance. Now. It's a really proactive, intentional um, wanting amongst business leaders. Why is that?
0: I think the government have changed their views on what that means, and in order for businesses to be successful, and obviously there's that hurdle of that's that first eighteen months, three years. is really imperative in a in a business owner's life to get them over that hurdle, that first bit of I've I've got a fantastic idea, fantastic fantastic product. What do I do next? I need to grow the business. And you're right, 10, 12, 20 years ago, getting a business mentor or a coach was almost frowned upon as so a why do you need help? What have you done wrong that yeah. you need somebody to come in and help you? Whereas we've kind of changed the mindset with the government out to grow scheme, where it's actively encouraging people that have got this knowledge, who have been business leaders and business owners themselves, to step up and say, you know, why don't you volunteer some of your time? Because you could help somebody on the first rung of their business owner ladder you could help them and motivate them to you know to aspire to have where you are now. So that's the change that shift in dynamic is that it's it's okay, you know, and I think with the whole mental health thing as well, it's okay to seek the help that you need to, to progress you on your journey. So which has led to you know from the help to grow scheme me stepping forward into new learning roles and learning how to be a a business coach and a mentor and doing the qualifications at level seven for doing that. And then actually then progressing that to qualifications at supervisory level where I can now sit in rooms with um, groups of mentors and we can going through best practice and scenarios of, you know, how have you worked with this mentee, this business owner, and, and that we have a group of people that are then discussing best practice and how they would approach that scenario. But also for me on a one-to-one level with another business coach or mentor to help them, and we're looking at their progression, that transition between being a business owner leader into being a business mentor because they're not the same thing.
1: Yes, okay. Okay that thought mentoring leadership coaching give us if people were thinking gosh i need something like this on the back of listening to this it's it's um it's positive it's influential it's going to be a really good impact on me i want to reach out how do they know what they want do they want consultancy do they want coaching do they want mentoring does someone does someone therapy you know (laughs) what what do they want and how do they distinguish that
0: we, you don't know what you don't know. That's the old adage, isn't it? Really? So yeah. I mean, somebody, somebody who's set up and is growing a business and you think, I need help with the growth of my business, getting a business mentor in to guide you along that journey and sit with you along that journey and help you come up with your own options is a fantastic idea. So I'm part of the Association of Business Mentors, and there's a whole database there of brilliant mentors that will sit alongside you and be able to do that consultancy is very much, I've got this business problem. I need to achieve this, whether it's I need a business plan. I need a marketing plan. I need somebody to build my website. I'm going to engage with somebody who's an expert in their field as a consultant that will come in and provide me with this product or this service to fill that need and that pain point. A coach will sit alongside you and work with you. In a kind of like a mixture between the two, it will be prescriptive and guided and coach you through specific things that you want to achieve. So it very much depends on what your immediate need is, what your ongoing need is.
1: Yeah. And that's sometimes with our clients, as you said earlier, mm. they'll come thinking they want something. But after a bit of time of discussion in that independent ear, they discover what they need is actually something quite different. So there is that basis that you might not know initially. Consultancy is quite easy because you think Mm. I've got this pinch point and I need this solving. Mm. Coaching and mentoring, you might, you know, some of our clients might not know which one they want. Is that right? Yeah,
0: Yeah, absolutely. But the, the good thing about that is most people that work in this arena as a business coach or mentor have that crossover of skills that they will be I- able to identify what you need.
1: Hmm.
0: Yeah, They will yeah. come in and think, well, actually the best thing for you, and, I, and this goes back to am I, co- am I coaching or mentoring the person or the business? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: Is the, the business owner will need mentoring or the business might need mentoring in terms of I just need to sit there and listen and provide the right questions and the space for this person to come to this themselves, to give them those amazing light bulb moments that, oh, I do know how to do this. And uh, and that's a fantastic feeling for both the person and for you know myself as a mentor. Um so it's just getting on board in the first place. And I would suggest to anybody who's interested in getting a coach or a mentor. That you explore the right person it is a very personal relationship as it would be yeah, going to yeah. a, a therapist or having lessons in anything it's all about the relationship you have with that person because it's a trusting relationship between both parties that you're engaged in and that level of expectation that as a mentor you know you you would talk to me and you would impart some you know, personal things in terms of how your business is running. Perhaps you'll come in and have a rant about all the people that aren't doing what they need to do. So it's a very personal relationship. So it's really imperative that you find that the right person that you connect with to take you along, walk with you on that journey.
1: I say that to people that approach me. I say, listen, if you um, are serious about it, I suggest you not only look at me, look at other companies mm. and other people. It's. I think it's a really key responsibility for us. You know, when I was younger and you filled out a form, you'd say, who's your doctor? And you'd put doctor blah blah Now they just ask you, who's your doctor? Surgery. Because you go to a doctor's surgery and you'll see one of 12 doctors. Yes, because going to see a doctor is very different to going to see your coach or your mentor. You're right. This relationship that the client and coach or the client and mentor has has got to work for both parties. More importantly, I think, for the client, because the mentor is slightly more adaptive. But for the client's yes. got to be really comfortable. It's not like saying, can you diagnose this problem? It's yes. like, can we see where this symptom fits into a diagnosis? So I absolutely agree with you. I would encourage people to look at the broad field of coaches and mentors.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And your coach, and your mentor, you know, if they're the right fit for you, if they come up against a challenge or an issue that you have that's outside of their remit of expertise, they will, they will signpost you correctly. You know, m- most part of mentoring is I don't need to have the same skills and expertise as you have in your industry because that's not my responsibility. Mm. My job is to sit there and ask you the right questions. I I know how to run my business, And I know what questions to ask you so that you can come to the right answer. I don't need to know the ins and outs of, you know, knitting, crochet, cake making or any of those other things that a small business owner might do in order to help you be successful. But I do know that if you're struggling over here or you're struggling with this or you do need, you know, if you've come to the conclusion through a mentoring session that you do need a new website or you need a marketing plan, Yeah, part of that journey is we might discuss and come to the conclusion that, okay, you need to engage with somebody in in this area of expertise and able to help you, because by me offering to help you in that area, I'm massively overstepping an ethical boundary.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Which is really important in this sector as well. It's not my job as a mentor to come in and work alongside you and help you solve that problem personally.
1: Yeah. Yeah we could go on forever because you know Absolutely. around that and i and i put this out for this you know i say this for the for the comfort of the, the peace of mind for the client you know you shouldn't enter into anything with a coach without that uh, framework of to avoid those ethical boundaries being broken you know it's important that anybody you work with provides not a contract as such but a framework of practice and if you don't get one of those then don't work with that person i would say
0: yeah, completely. Because you're bang on right. So anybody that I engage with, I have a contract for my mentoring services. I have a separate contract for supervision services yeah. or consultancy. So you know up front, this is what you're going to get from me in this capacity. These are the ethics that I abide by. This is the regulatory body bodies. This is the this is where I'm insured to practice to what yeah, I do yeah, at this yeah, level. Yeah. And that's what you should expect from anybody that you engage with as a as a business coach, mentor, or consultant.
1: Brilliant. Lastly, Kathy, because we're breaking the hour, but I could talk to you all day. It's very insightful. Um, people, this podcast is is successful because it relates to the person on the school run, on the tube, listening to this at the headphones. And I always ask people that um, I host on here, if you're sat listening to this as a leader, and you're reflecting before you get off at Marblebone or Paddington Station, uh, do I need to think about? having that injection of a coach or a mentor, what top three things would pop into their head to make them think, do you know what, Um, is it, is it, I know I'm not great with people or I feel like this when I'm engaging with my team, give us some ideas that might be little nuances that would suggest that it would be a brilliant idea for you to engage with a mentor or a coach.
0: So I think, you know, if if you are a leader or you're a manager, when was the last time you were triggered by somebody either above you, alongside you or beneath you? When were you triggered in terms of, you know, the imposter syndrome thing? Or I feel like I'm out of place here or I am feel, I've, I, you know, I feel scared about what I'm doing next or I don't know what I'm doing next. Those are the points. This isn't just for business owners. This is for people who work in management or any place, actually. If they think that they can need the help of a business mentor to work through an issue that they've currently got, um, any of those universal emotions that I talked about earlier, that a business mentor will be able to help you with, then reach out to somebody. As I said, the Association of Business Mentors is absolutely fantastic. There's also um, Enterprise Nation who provide lists of um, business mentors on there. Most business mentors will provide you with um, a free consultation, a discovery call to to see whether you're the best best fit for that person. um, And then you can take that relationship from there.
1: And exactly the same for people that are just about to step into the office who know they're going into a really shitty environment that are really unhappy but have a great idea of their own leadership skills. They're aiming for leadership. How can we impact and help them if they're thinking yeah i need something what would we be initially able to to do in that you know first encounter that they make with a a coach
0: i'll leave you with a brilliant top tip here then this is a radical acceptance thing the first thing you should do in any situation where you feel challenged as to whether i'm doing this right or wrong is to write down a, a list of facts just the black and white. Take all the emotions out of what's going on here. You want to write a list of facts as to what's going on. I've been asked to do this. I don't agree with that. I think we should be doing this. And then you write a separate list of the emotions that are going through you as to why you're feeling like this. So I'm feeling challenged, upset, disgusted, blah, 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 blah. and it's, it's making me feel anxious. I can feel that in the pit of my stomach. So you've you've separated the two Challenges here into the facts of what's happening and the emotions of between you that's also happening to bring those two things closer together and then look at them from a wise mind perspective as to what you can do about it. Let's remove the emotions from a situation. If you've gone into the office and you've been triggered by somebody who's sitting there who's going on holiday, say somebody's going on holiday for a month to so the Caribbean, you're usual analogy. I'm going on holiday to the Caribbean for all over Christmas and Kathy, you're now in charge of running this team for, for, a, for a, the whole month. I'm going to feel really put upon and a bit, you know, fed up with being able to do that. And why am I not on a holiday? But the facts of that are, this person is entitled to hol- to holiday. I'm in a position of leadership where I am capable and equipped to step in and do it. Um, and the process says that I'm the next person in the chamber of command, so that's my role and responsibility. I've removed the whole jealousy, I'd rather be on holiday doing that. And why didn't I save up enough during the year to be able to, I've removed all of that from the, my my handbag of whatever's going on here. And I've come to the conclusion, actually, that, of course, it's my responsibility. I'm perfectly okay to feel fed up and jealous and blah, 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 blah. But in this scenario, I need to step up as a leader and as a manager to do this, because that's, that's the logical, obvious thing. So try that technique.
1: That is amazing. Thank you, Kathy. It's been incredible to talk to you. I could do another hour about the <laughs> ethics of coaching, about the desire of coaches. Um, but I, you and I met a few weeks ago when we were doing peer to peer, when we, when you were facilitating a group of mentors. Uh, and it's really insightful. And, and I would urge coaches to do this as well. Get involved in a coach to coach peer group so that we don't feel so isolated or alone or make sure we're benchmarking best practice. But um, thank you very much. One thing that I did want you to talk about, and I saw it on LinkedIn and I commented on it your new accolade and cup and string to your bow that you've just qualified in. Tell us a little bit about that and what that is.
0: So I've just done a diploma. So this is, again, part of my learning journey. I'm going to pick something to do next after this. I've just done a diploma in dialectical behavioral therapy because that's, I felt, was the missing gap between. Leadership and coaching and mentoring where you are absolutely focusing on the behaviour as to why people do what they want to do. And actually that technique that I just said at the end of it, that is one of the techniques of dialectical behavioural therapy is that you are separating emotions and the logical facts. You are separating those two things out of making a decision. So for business owners, this is really important, especially small business owners where they are. They're up against decisions all the time that they emotionally having to make. Do I take this personal? It's going to cost me all this money. Do I do this myself? So this technique that I've obviously studied for now, I can add to my toolkit and use in my mentoring sessions as a way of getting a business owner to go through that process of separating the facts of what they need to do from the emotions of what's happening to come to a wise mind decision. Moving
1: forward, I started reading about it on the back of w- looking mm. at your post online, and it almost struck me as uh, as slightly philosophical. I'm a philosopher by mm. by academia, and it's that it's that almost method of being able to create logic without the cloud of emotion, isn't it?
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: And it's yeah. what we strive to do in our marriages when we're arguing with our partner, when we're arguing with our children is to stick to the facts that create the mm. logic and the motive and not be clouded by or keep the keep the emotional drive very separate from that. Is that right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean you can still bring that in. And the reason I brought those universal emotions to the fore is is not is so that people are aware that, that these happen regardless. You can't turn being jealous on or off. But you can control what you do with those emotions and how you handle them. So, you know, this was a, a, an amazing journey of self-discovery for me doing this because I thought, you know, when you learn all these qualifications and you do all these things, you think, well, I've got to the end of my journey now. I've learned everything I need to know. And then you go back and you do something like this. And it's an amazing journey of self-discovery where I've thought, I've tried to shut off so many of these emotions thinking that they were bad emotions now they're ineffective emotions that I now need to understand and ex and accept them that if I do feel sad or jealous or anger, that's perfectly okay. Yeah. And uh, and I can go through a patch of feeling disgust about something that's happened, knowing that, you know, I'm just gonna sit with that and let that emotion ride out. And at the end of it, I will put my big boy pants on and crack on with my day. Yeah. So it's not kind of Pushing them to a side, but using them more effectively, and and being more attuned with yourself as to how you use these in your everyday life as a leader, and now as a as a business mentor.
1: Fantastic. We must come back and talk about that specific impact mm-hmm. and how and how it would change people's reaction to situations that they find themselves in. It must be really impactful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So
1: let's do that. <laughs> thank you so much, Kathy. It's been a brilliant conversation. um thank I'm you. going to stop the recording, but don't go anywhere. um but we consider you a friend of the life I lead podcast. This will come out uh, and I you know it gets a good download. so hopefully something we've said will encourage people to say, yeah, this is approachable a compassionate a safe environment for me to have an independent aspect of what I do business. So you're doing incredible, influential work. So thank you very much for joining us.
0: Thank you, Nicholas. Thank you for inviting me on.
1: What an incredible interview. What an insight. Uh, Such a spontaneous just conversation about the power of leadership, the role of a leader, how we mentor, how we coach, and how we facilitate. You know, interestingly, we spoke about what leaders should do, and that's upskilling and encouraging and enhancing those who follow us. And that's done in so many different ways. Uh, And I think it's a really important message to ask yourself every day as a leader. You know, am I enhancing those who follow me? Am I enhancing those below me? Am I making them better? Am I upskilling them? And I'm creating more leaders because that's what we are designed to do. You know, as parents want the best for their children and bring them up in the manner in which they feel is going to equip them for the modern world. So we should do with those who follow. Uh, Kathy clearly uh, an intelligent and uh, acclaimed uh, member of the mentoring coaching and facilitation community and it's been fantastic working with her over the last few weeks and i look forward to working with her again uh, so i remind you all that next week um we will have another guest yes Uh, an exciting episode next week but also we'll be approaching um, ask me anything and approaching the month of the book sale until then if you are a leader remember look down on those you lead and help them up to your position elevate them encourage them enhance them and upskill them if you're a follower follow with dedication follow with loyalty follow with positivity be that thermostat and set the temperature don't be a thermometer and just read the temperature but above all be kind, be compassionate and be empathetic. And we will catch up next week on the next episode of The Life I Lead. Thank you very much for tuning into The Life I Lead podcast. I really hope that something resonated with you today. If there's one thing I want you to remember, it's that you are also capable of being an inspiring leader. So I invite you, to be fully present and fully alive to situations that may call you to step up and lead. As I say to everyone on my coaching courses, tell yourself aloud every day, I am enough, I am influential, I am a leader. Join us again next week on Monday at 7 a.m. And between now and then, remember the words of Eisenhower. You don't lead by hitting people over the head. That's assault, not leadership.